Jesus says that if anyone listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rains of life come and torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on this bedrock. But if anyone hears my teaching and doesn't obey it, that person's foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Two different ways to build a life that lead to two different outcomes. And Jesus says in this passage, there's two words that make all the difference. Wisdom and foolishness. And in order to understand what that looks like on a practical level, we're going to take a look at the book of Proverbs today. It's a wisdom literature book in the Old Testament. We're looking at those over this series that we're in called Navigating Life. And Solomon, who, who wrote the book Proverbs, wrote from a perspective of what does it look like to be wise and what does it look like to be foolish in all aspects of life. And so as we navigate the book of Proverbs today, we're going to lean on uh, some very wise sages, Timothy and Kathy Keller. Uh, Tim Keller is my favorite author of all time, was listening to a message of his this morning, was very convicted by it. Uh, he's just a great teacher. And he and his wife have written two uh, daily devotionals, 365 days in either the Psalms or, in this case, the Proverbs. And so I would really recommend this book. And you will hear me reference this often because these two are way smarter than me. <laughs> and I want to make sure to make a few things as clear as possible. Well, they do a really good job of defining what a proverb is. The Kellers say a proverb is a poetic, terse, vivid, thought-provoking saying that conveys a world of truth in a few words. They are neither absolute commands nor promises. you got to pay attention to that part. But they are observations about how life works. Proverbs, they're not promises. They're not always commands. They're lenses or glasses, or a perspective in how to approach life in a way that works in God's world, God's way. Proverbs show us how to live a successful life in God's world, living by God's way. Now there's two paths or two houses that we can build upon, one on who the Lord is and one who isn't, and on ourselves. And Solomon, right away, right off the get-go, he wants us to understand what's at this foundation that will lead to us building either a wise or a foolish life. And here's what he says in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. He says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools, they despise wisdom and discipline. Let's look at the last part together. Fools. They despise wisdom and discipline. Let me ask you this. What characteristics come to mind when you think of a fool? Think about those for a moment. Or let's make it more personal. Who comes to mind when you think of a fool? 
Now, if it's the person next to you, you need to tell them that in the car afterwards. I don't have time to split up fights this morning. But who is that person in your life that you'd say, oh man, if I had to say this person's a fool, it's them. Got it? How many of us thought about ourselves? Not many. And therein lies the problem. Jesus says there's some of us in this room right now, some of us who are building a life of foolishness. A life that's built on a foundation of foolishness. A life that Jesus says in the end, if we don't do something about it, we will come to ruin. You see, a fool is a person that never thinks they're a fool. They have other people in mind when they think of fools, but it's never themselves. And that lends to the definition of a fool. A fool simply is someone who's self-absorbed. All they can think about is themselves. All they can live for is themselves. All they talk about is themselves. And they always do in a really high regard. Sometimes they think really poorly about themselves, but it's usually in a selfish way. And often... Fools surround themselves with people. They have friends. They, they help serve other people. But I guarantee you, if you ask them why they're doing it and they'll be honest with you, oftentimes it's a means for their own end. They use people in order to feel better about what they want to accomplish. And Solomon is very clear. Fools, they despise wisdom and discipline. These two words are attached to what comes from God. They want nothing to do with God. They're grateful that God created them, but they don't want God to lead their life. In fact, fools are those who, when you're interacting with them and somehow you try to correct them or point out a flaw in them, you walk away feeling like you're the one that's the problem, not them. They're really good at spinning it, so it looks like you're the one who is the fool, but when in reality they are, they just don't see it. A fool is someone that won't change. And if they do try to change it, they often go back to who they are. In summary, when Jesus says those, those who are building a life on the sand are foolish, what Jesus is saying is they're building a life on themselves. They're self-absorbed. They're very selfish. And in the end, whether they recognize it or not, that will lead to dire consequences. But Solomon said, listen, there's another path, another foundation. We even see it in the very verse. Fear of the Lord is the foundation. It's the foundation of true knowledge. When you probably see the word fear, especially in the English language, we especially think about those things that scare us, those things that make us afraid. Well, that's not exactly what fear of the Lord means. Again, the Kellers are very helpful here for us. They say fear is not a cringing terror, but an attitude of awe and wonder before the faithful covenant love of God. A living, vital relationship with God is wisdom's absolute prerequisite. If a fool is in awe of themselves and self-absorbed and always the one calling the shots, always the one in relationships where it's all about them, that they only care about themselves for the time they wake up to the time they go to bed, a wise person is completely the opposite. They have forsaken themselves and put themselves under the leadership of God. 
And they recognize that God being their leader sometimes asks of them things that are uncomfortable, things that go against their will or desire. But because they know wisdom is fearing the Lord, they will do it anyways. They are utterly obsessed with God. In the Bible, it's not just a list of very inspirational quotes that they throw up on social media. For the wise, the Bible is their authority. It's their lifeline. It's their guide on how to live their life. People who are wise are building their lives on Jesus and what he has to say, and not just what he has to say, but obeying it as well. Two different ways to build our lives on a foundation. One on selfishness, the other on selflessness. What will you and I choose? Now, I'm not going to tell you which one I've chosen (laughs) because I'm embarrassed sometimes to say what my choice is. But throughout our time together, I want us to just be really real about what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to look at four themes throughout Proverbs. Now, there's many themes, but I try to pick out a few that are repeated. And these themes are the building blocks of a life lived on the foundation of either wisdom or foolishness. And you'll see that very clearly as we go along. At the end of each theme, I'm going to pose a few questions that coincide with each theme. Now, a fool would look at those questions and would answer them in a way that they're always thinking about other people who are probably at fault here. A fool can never admit that they're wrong because they don't want to concede part of who they are. All I ask today, as we look at these questions, if we can just be completely honest and just say, okay, if I am on this foolish path or I'm building this foolish life, God, can you help me? And he will, and I'll show you how he can at the end of our time together. So let's just be as honest as we can as we look at these Proverbs. So let's look at our first theme together. Laziness versus hard work. And every time I give you a theme, I'm going to list quite a few Proverbs that I can't get into all today, but they're in your teaching notes in your worship program. So in your chair time this week, if you'd like to look at those, that would be profitable. But here are some of the verses associated with laziness versus hard work. And one of the passages that I absolutely love is in chapter 6, where the author of Proverbs, Solomon, looks to nature to teach us, teach us the difference between laziness and hard work. Here's what it says. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. They don't have a prince or a governor or a ruler to make them work. And they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. But you lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of hands to rest. However, that leads to poverty. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Have you ever thought of an ant as a picture of hard work and wisdom? Usually I've stepped on those ants to try to get them off my driveway. I never really thought of an ant as a picture of hard work, but now I see ants completely different. An ant is self-motivated by a bigger purpose. There is no, they have a queen, but it's in the colony. There's no boss ant, so to speak. I don't know if 
that's what we would call it. But there's no one over their shoulder saying, continue to work hard. They always work hard because they are living for a purpose bigger than themselves. So it, so it is with those who are wise and hard workers in this room. We don't need someone always telling us to do our jobs. We are really good at being self-motivated, not because we want to do the work, but because we understand a bigger purpose. And that purpose is working unto the Lord. When we're parenting or being a spouse or being a coworker or being a friend or a student and it gets really hard, what motivates us to keep grinding is the fact that all that we're doing is honoring and pleasing to God. And what I love about the ant, which is a huge indictment of where I am in my life, they're very good at uh, delayed gratification. They're really good at waiting to see the results and working hard until that point. You saw it says in the summer, they gather food, not to eat it now, but to see a result in the winter. They gather food so they'll have enough when they need it the most. Now, when it comes to self-control and delayed gratification, and I see a cookie, I'm not asking, should I eat it? I'm asking, how many should I eat? But here's the problem with that. Instant gratification, the sugar rush. But in the end, it leads to bad health. Those who are like the ant would see a cookie and say, I really want it, or I want 10 of them, but right now I want to be healthy for my kids or my grandkids. And so today I'm going to say no. It doesn't mean you always say no to the cookie, but you don't say yes to the cookie all the time. It's those at work who, you know what, man, they have a goal and they have a purpose, and it's really hard to meet that, and it's going to be a grind to get there, and we won't know the results of that, but you know what? We're trusting ourselves to God, and so we will be self-disciplined and motivated and, de and delaying our gratification to be lazy in order to work hard now to hopefully see a result later. That's what wise people do who are building a life on a wise foundation in Christ. But like the author, or like Solomon tells us, there's another option. It's those who are lazy. Solomon calls them lazy bones. Those lazy bones are the people where you can't really motivate them. Sure, you can try all the tactics in the world, but in the end, they're thinking about choosing what feels good now, no matter what the results of that look like. They're the ones that are going to take the cookies they're the ones that won't work hard now, even though they can see possible progress in the future. They're the ones that you're always trying to get them to do something, and they're always saying, I'll do it tomorrow. But the problem is tomorrow never comes. That's why Solomon says they're the ones that are, that are sleeping all the time and won't get out of bed and always making excuses. Now, there's nothing wrong with rest we all need that, but when we're always making excuses not to do what we're supposed to as a parent or as a spouse or as a coworker, then we deserve that name of being lazy. And the wise will build their life on Christ and will work hard unto the Lord. The lazy will only do it for themselves and they'll feel good in the moment and they don't care about the future, no matter what that looks like. So, let me ask you a few questions. When it comes to being wise or being foolish with our work ethic, ask yourself these questions. What does your work ethic look like when no one is looking over your shoulder? 
And then the Kellers ask a really good question. Is there any area of your life that is slipping away because you're not getting to work on it? Why don't you just take a few moments to pray and reflect on those questions silently. Our second theme. People that bring us down versus the people that bring us up. Again, some Proverbs here that have to do with those who we surround ourselves with in our lives, and I love Psalm 1-1. Check that out as well. Now, let me give just a, a caveat before I go, uh, go on now. Jesus surrounded himself with a lot of different people. He surrounded himself with people that didn't look like him, had different skin color than him, that didn't have a relationship with God, that had a... Uh, a laundry list in their past. I mean, there's a lot of people that when you looked around at Jesus' circle, man, was it diverse. And hopefully when we look at our circle, Christ followers, it shouldn't all look like ourselves. We should have people around us that look different. But I'm not talking about that in this specific instance. I'm talking about those who have influence in our lives, those who we would call our closest of friends. So with that in mind, let me just give you a couple uh, Proverbs here. First one, uh, Proverbs 13, uh, verse 20, if we put that on the screen, it says this. Walk with those who are wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. So, parents, grandparents, when you hear that verse, to be wise and walk with the wise, associate with fools and get in trouble, you're probably thinking, okay, how do I get that tattooed on my kid or grandkid's face, right? Like when they're looking in the mirror, how can I remind them that it, who they're with determines who they become? I need to put that all over our house, on the refrigerator, in their cars, in their lockers, wherever it is, because we know that if our kids or grandkids are with wise people, they're going to make good choices. If they're with foolish people, they're going to make poor choices, and we know how that affects their future. But it also affects us adults. Keller, Tim Keller specifically says, when we grow up, we are shaped by our family, whether good or bad. As we get older, we're shaped by our friends, either good or bad. We have influences, influencers right now in our lives that are bringing us down or bringing us up. Those who are foolish, who associate with fools, Solomon says, are those who get in trouble. Let me give you just a different angle of what that trouble could look like. If you're in a friendship, and this close friend of yours, who's always showing up to hang out, but he's never, or she's never willing to point out any deficiencies in your life that they see, Maybe they see that you're not being a kind spouse or you're not being a patient parent or you have slipped in following Jesus, whatever that is, and they don't point that out to you, you are in trouble. Because close, good friendships do those things. Those who call yourself close friends and they don't do those things, they're only in the friendship for themselves and what they can get out of you. They don't care about who you're becoming. They care that you give them a good time. Outside of that, they don't really care because they're so self-absorbed in themselves. Another thing that fools do that does lead to trouble is they make us compromise who we are and what we value. You may love and, and enjoy being around certain people. They may be great people. I will never argue that. But when you go home at night 
and you've taken steps back in being a Christ follower, taken steps back in being a parent, if you're looking at your spouse now, instead of being the love of your life, now she's just or he's just an object, that person isn't a close friend who really cares about you becoming those great things in your life that you can become. All they care about is getting what they can get out of you. And that is foolish and that leads to trouble for you and for all of your life. But the wise, they understand this and they surround themselves with really wise people. Wise, good friends are those who are willing to rock the boat of your friendship. And it may hurt hearing it, but they're willing to say it because these people in your life care more about who you're becoming than what you can do for them. They care about the friendship and they care about who you are in Christ and they care about who you are as a spouse or as a student enough to say, hey, this is wrong in your life and I want to be in your life to walk alongside of you and help fix it with you. These friends are the ones who show up even when life is busy. It may be a text message or a call or an email or making time together to hang out with each other, but they're the ones that are there for you in the good and the bad. And when you go home, after being with someone like this, I'll tell you what, you are laying in bed thinking about your time and you're reflecting on how I can take steps forward in my faith, how I can take steps forward to encourage my wife or be a better dad or be a more faithful, hardworking coworker. The wise become wiser by who they hang out with. The foolish become foolish by those who they hang out with. And if you really are with some wise friends who really build you up, then you'll understand why this makes so much sense. Solomon says in the message version, friends come and friends go, but there are some true friends in your lives that stick by you like family. I have two friends in my life who I would consider family. They come to family functions. They're there when I need them. When I need prayer, I'll text them. When I need advice, I'll text them. When I'm in misery and want to watch a Browns game, I'll text them and ask them to watch it with me. They're the friends that I'm telling you I am who I am today because of Jesus, my family, and those two guys. Who are the friends in your life, your closest friends, and how are they shaping you? Are they building you up to who you can become, or are they tearing you down to their level? So ask yourself these two questions. Are your close friends leading you to compromise who you are or what you value? And are your close friends adding to or subtracting from your faith? Just take a moment just to reflect on those. Here's our third theme together. Harmful words versus helpful words. Proverbs has a lot to say about what comes out of our mouth. And here are a few verses that help us see the difference between someone who uses their words in a wise way because they're building their life on Christ or another person who uses their words in a harmful way that's building their lives on a foundation of selfishness. Proverbs 10, 20. The words of the godly are like sterling silver. In the heart of the fool, which is where our words originate, it's worthless. And then these two. Proverbs 12, 15, and 16. Fools think their own way is right. But the wise, they actually listen to others. And a fool, they're quick-tempered. But a wise person stays calm when insulted. 
on average, studies tell us that we use about 16,000 words per day, which translates to we have 16,000 opportunities to use our words to either help someone or to harm someone. And later in Proverbs 12, Solomon tells us that those who are fools wield their words around like a sword. I would not want to be pierced by that sword, would you? Nor would we want to be pierced by someone who uses words in a harmful way. Because those people who are fools will use their words in a way that pierces the heart and souls of those they're speaking to. And they speak in such a way that it's reckless, compulsive, and they're angry all the time. You know if you're a fool, if you're always gossiping and looking forward to tearing people down with your words so that it somehow builds you up. Fools, they never listen. And if they do listen and they hear something they don't want to hear, they argue back or blame or justify. Fools are the ones that always, always, always are the ones losing their temper right away. If you poke them about just anything, man, you get this terrible reaction, whether it's, whether it's verbal or nonverbal. And the reason is, is because, remember, they're living for themselves. Something in their life got poked that they didn't want it to. They've lost control, and anger has come up because somehow their selfishness has been threatened. Anger is a secondary emotion of usually a deeper problem. That it is pride. Are you foolish with your words. A wise person, Solomon says, uses their words like sterling silver. And he says that because this is a type of silver that's been purified. The wise use their words in such a way that are so pure, so life-giving, so truthful, and yet coupled with truth is kindness and gentleness. That these people, when you receive words for them, you feel like you're receiving these words directly from God. And the wise are not quick to get angry, nor use their words to harm you. But if they do, because they're not perfect, they will be the first ones to use words of reconciliation and forgiveness. Tim and Kathy Keller ask really, really hard questions about our words. And I'll let them ask you these questions right now. When we're using our words on a consistent basis, are we using our words always just trying to win the argument? Are you trying to punish or pay back by embarrassing the other person? Are your words defensive? Do you find yourself complaining often? Or are you trying to use your words to make yourself look good to others? I'll give you a few moments. I definitely have more yeses than noes, but let's move on, okay? The last uh, topic that we want to look at today from Proverbs to see if we're building a wise or foolish life is about our resources. Now, uh, throughout the Bible, many of us know this, but money or our finances is the most repeated topic in the Bible. Well, obviously in Proverbs, you see there's a lot to say about how we use our finances. There's two options. Uh, either my resources belong to me versus my resources belong to God. Now, there is a direct line between our heart and our bank accounts. Now, I don't mean that the amount of money that we have. Some of us are really happy with the amount of money we have. Others of us are not. 
But it's not about the amount that matters. It matters who is in control of our finances. Either God or us. So here's what Solomon says about that. Proverbs 3, 9 in the message version. Honor God with everything you own and give him the first and the best. And then another just clear verse from Solomon in Proverbs 15. Better to have little with fear of the Lord than to have great treasure in inner turmoil. You see, someone who is foolish with their finances are those who say my finances or my resources belong to me. The problem is that leads to inner turmoil. And the reason is it doesn't matter if you have a lot or a little because you're gripping onto your resources. You live a life where you're defining yourself by what you have or you're comparing yourself to what others have and seeing, okay, do I measure up or don't I? Or am I better than them or worse? Or you're always fearful and worried that you never have enough, even though God has supplied your needs. The problem that people live with in inner turmoil because they're gripping so hard, they live a life of insecurity, fear, and worry because they never know when it's going to slip through their fingers. They haven't trusted God with that. But someone who is wise with the resources, they've recognized that, you know what? I don't want to control my resources. I don't need to control my resources. God will do that for me. They're the ones who understand that they've been blessed to be a blessing to others. They've recognized that what they have is a gift, that what they have is to be a manager or a steward of what God has given them. They recognize that they don't have to keep up with any other person because they are content in what God gives them. The wise are ultra frugal, ridiculously generous, and never feel like they don't have enough because their hope isn't in their resources. Their hope is in God, and God has given them what they need. If the wise live with insecurity, Though, excuse me, if the foolish live with insecurity, the wise live in freedom. So as you're building your life, what does it look like, especially when it comes to your finances? And here's some questions to help us understand that. Am I striving to live a life of self-indulgence or a life of self-sacrifice? And am I only generous when it benefits me? So just take a few moments. After Jesus wraps up the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, it says that the crowds were amazed. Which means the crowds allowed the words to go in one ear and out the other. And you may say, well, wait a minute. How is that possible? They were amazed by Jesus' teachers, or te words, and they were. They were inspired. They thought it was incredible what he had to say. It was thought-provoking. They never thought of things like that before. But that word amazed literally means they were inspired but made no changes in their life. They kept continuing to build their lives on themselves, on the sand, who in the end will lead to destruction. If you're here today, and you are amazed by Jesus, you're inspired by his words, but you haven't put your faith in them, then if I can kindly say, those of us here are doing that, are building our lives on a foundation that will never hold up when you go through life's greatest storms. In the end, 
you will come to ruin because we cannot support a life built on ourselves, whether we recognize it or not. It's why Jesus says, if you build it on me, on the rock, I won't move. Your house may go back and forth. It's going to rattle. You may have some struggles. There's no doubt. All people go through it. But how you handle those, and if you will endure, makes all the difference, right? One leads to destruction. One leads to being intact. And if you are living that foolish life, let me tell you, today you're allowed to switch builders. I had a friend recently who had no idea I was teaching this message. We were talking about life. And really right now his life is upside down for him. It's a mess. And he told me as he was going along that he built his life on the wrong things. He used things like he built his life on his family or built his life on his future or built his life on his career or built his life on a relationship. All things that made him feel good. All those things that led to being self-absorbed. And in the end, when a few of those things were disrupted, not only did his house crash, but his foundation went right into the water with it. He was broken and miserable, and he still is. But he told me that he wanted to make a change, and he's asking God to give him a foundation built on him. And though he is still struggling right now, even though the storms haven't let up yet, it's interesting to see him responding differently than before. So a couple days ago, he sent me this picture. He's taking popsicle sticks, and he's reading scripture daily, and and the verse that's in his daily devotion, he's writing that out on a piece of paper, and he's building a new foundation for his life. And this is the reminder to him that before He may have had everything, but in the end, he had nothing. But now, no matter what happens, he has everything because he's building his life on the rock. Two lives, two different outcomes. One who builds on wisdom, the other on foolishness. What will you do? Let's pray. Father, thank you for being a graceful builder who sits on the sidelines while we attempt to build our house and it falls down and goes back up, it falls down and goes back up. And when we look to you, the master builder to take over, Lord, you build a foundation and a life that will never be shaken to its core. And even if you tear down the house, the foundation will still be intact because we're building it on you. Those of us in this room who have lived a self-absorbed, foolish life where it's everybody else and not themselves, God, show them your grace today and let them hand over the tools so that you can build their life going forward. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.